Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower, along with my good friend and associate, Beck Barnes. Hello, Beck. Hey. Hey, Jim. Well, you know, since uh, since our last visit, cotton meeting season is now officially off. Uh, it's in full swing. It kicked off with the annual Beltwide Cotton Conferences uh, back in early January. And right now, a lot of other state and regional conferences are, are popping up just about every week. Uh, it seems like all the way up to planting season. So it's uh, it's always a busy time. Beck, I know you're uh, you're plugged into to the situations down in uh, down in the Mississippi Delta. Are you hearing anything at all from folks, or are they just everybody just kind of sitting back and waiting to see what uh, how things how things progress here over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, not hearing a whole lot in terms of planting intentions or or any sort of trends or worries. Now, you know, uh, what I can tell you is that. Uh, According to Facebook, everybody in the state has killed a nice deer this year, except for me. <laughs> so a um, little, little, not sour at that at all, let me tell you. Uh, no, I'm a little put out about that. But no, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of the off season, it kind of just feels like a prototypical Mississippi or Mid-South January, you know, I mean, and I say that in the context of 2022 was such an outlier crazy drought year in the southwest and and um was not a good time for a lot of our friends out there uh in the southwest in particular in the west with the drought situation but you know in mississippi it was just kind of a normal year we had late rains uh late too late in the season that kind of did some damage to the crop but in general a pretty typical growing season um so you know in that regard it's a pretty typical off season i mean folks are just kind of watching prices i there's going to be cotton down there uh, as our, I know you're going to get into our acreage survey uh, would suggest, you know, uh, I think we're right when we say that Mississippi and Arkansas maybe have a little acreage bump for cotton uh, in 2023, you know, but I don't want to step on your toes. I know we're going to get into that later, but uh, no, I would say it's pretty typical, uh, quiet January down there in the Delta in the greater Mid-South. Well, that's that's fine, and please don't worry about stepping on my toes. I it's like I mentioned, I just spent three days uh, covering the Beltwide Cotton Conference in New Orleans a week or so ago, uh, and and trust me, our acreage projections, you know, if if it had feet, they were getting the toes were getting stepped on quite yeah. a bit, quite yeah. a bit from, But but that's that's to be expected, you know. Anyway, the the best thing about the meeting, of course, is it's always a great time to to see and catch up with our consultant and university friends. Uh, from all across the Cotton Belt, and to hear, kind of hear the latest updates on research and, and issues that impact multiple segments of the industry. And one of the more popular sessions is always the economic session, where we get updates and predictions about farm policy, supply chain issues, and a uh, cotton market outlook for the coming year. Those are always the uh, three primary items always discussed, and this year was absolutely no exception. So uh, coming up in just a few minutes, is an interview uh, that I was able to conduct with Gerald Nieper of True Cotton Commodities and Dr. O.A. Cleveland of Mississippi State University, uh, who continued to uh, their tag team tradition, presenting their thoughts about the current status of the cotton industry and where they think it's headed this year. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned and see what they have to say. Now, as Beck, as you mentioned, in our last podcast, we discussed and dissected our annual acreage survey based on multiple sources back in November, 
in early December. And as you recall, our acreage number for this year was 11.57 million acres. And that includes both Upland and Pima. Uh, we're down roughly 1 million from 2022 or roughly a 7% decrease. I think as, as we mentioned in our last podcast, there was a whole so much uncertainty in this market that the acreage number was probably going to change or fluctuate as we move closer to planting. And I think I can safely say that we have set the ceiling for acreage this year. Uh, and our efforts were acknowledged by several very learned economists and industry folks during the Beltline meetings, you know, uh, giving us due credit. Uh, they understand where our numbers came from, but also in their, in their nice way, sort of saying, nice try, we think you're too high. Yeah, okay. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know what, Jim? I mean, okay, that's fine. I mean, people, everybody's free to have their own opinion here, but uh, this is not our... Uh, this is not our first time doing this, and uh, our, you look at our track record, we're, we're normally right on top of the final number, uh, despite being the very first one out of the gate. That's right. Um, you know, so I'm going to stand by our number. I'm not backing off of our number. Uh, well, I'm, not, I'm not backing off it at all either, because so much can still happen between now and, and planting. So That's right. Um, well, you know, it's the, it's the man in the arena, right? Isn't that, uh, that's right. That's right. We're the, we're, we're the only ones standing in the spotlight right now. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's actually against the rules for journalists to uh, cite the man in the arena uh, quote or poem or whatever. But because well, we're normally if, we if we were the man in the arena, they did not turn the lines loose. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah you know, we was, are normally we're normally we got, the critics. Yeah, we got we got that going for us yeah. at this point. But hey, you know, and if 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 we're too high, I'm okay with that. You know, it it's it's just the first shot out of the box, but. More importantly, uh, you're going to hear Gerald and OA's predictions coming up here in a few minutes. And uh, obviously, with more definitive projections, the, you know, the real scientific surveys coming soon from the National Cotton Council and from, from USDA. But before we get to the interview, I just want to acknowledge uh, recipients of several annual industry awards that are always presented here in Beltline. Uh, first, I want to recognize Joe Mincer of Lake Village, Arkansas, who was named the 2022 Joseph J. O'Neill Cotton Marketer of the Year. Uh, that's an award sponsored and presented by ICE Futures and by BASF. And Beck, I know you and I both covered this, uh, this award for multiple years. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great award. I, I, we have covered it for multiple years. I'm, I'm more uh, proud of a fellow from Lake Village, Arkansas, winning, winning the deal. You know, that's, you know, that's right across the bridge. That's from just right I'm across from. the river from here. Yeah, from here, yeah, right across the river bridge yeah. from me. So, uh, Joe, if you're listening, go get you a good steak from the bullpen, man, or cow pen. That's what it was called, cow pen uh, there in Lake Village. But congratulations. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, shout out to ICE and BASF for uh, sponsoring that great award. Next on the list, Dr. Murillo Maeda was recognized by his peers as the 2023 Beltwide Extension Cotton Specialist of the Year. Murillo served as AgriLife Extension Cotton Specialist for the High Plains area of Texas for several years. He has done an outstanding job for growers and for the industry in that area. So obviously the honor was well-deserved. Um, and actually the timing on it was very well, very, very good. Uh, you know, obviously he, he was deserving of the award uh, but he also recently has left that position. Uh, he's originally from Brazil. He's moving back to Brazil to join BASF as their breeding technology manager. 
there. So best wishes to Murillo. Uh, he's going to be missed in the in that high plains area, but I know he's uh, he's looking forward to the challenges that uh, that are ahead of him. And finally, congratulations to Dr. Michael Gore, he's a scientist and professor at Cornell University School of Integrative Plant Science. And he received the prestigious 2022 Cotton Genetics Research Award from the Beltwide Joint Cotton Breeding Committee. Uh, you can find out more details on these honors and more information from Beltwide in our February issue and online at cottongrower.com. So now, Beck, it's, it's time to share some of the market revelations and, and prognostications from, from two of our good friends who really know what they're talking about. Uh, that would be Gerald Nieper, who's president of Trucott Commodities in Bakersfield, California, and Dr. O.A. Cleveland, professor emeritus of ag economics at Mississippi State University. They do sort of a tag team presentation. Uh, that same format continued through this interview uh, it's always enlightening, and sometimes it can be very entertaining as well. But uh, but here's our discussion right now. Well, we're sitting at the uh, 2023 Belt Beltwide Cotton Conferences in New New Orleans, and uh, I'm joined today by Gerald Nieper, president of True Cotton Commodities out of Bakersfield, California, and by our good friend Dr. O.A. Cleveland, professor emeritus of ag economics at Mississippi State University, and the two of them have just finished a, uh, a presentation, sort of the market outlook for cotton for 2023. Gentlemen, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure. Okay. I don't have a whole lot of prepared questions on this, but I made a list of some of the topics that you covered. So, you know, in this case, I'm just going to kind of play moderator and throw a topic out and, uh, and let's see where it goes. So, first of all, I think you've, you titled your presentation what a year, now what? Gerald, what do you mean by that? Well, of course, the last year, it was just unbelievable. I mean, you know, in, was it September of, of 2021, we were sitting there, to, you know, 90 cents basically, and then we ran all the way up to $1.56 in uh, uh, May of, of uh, you know, exactly nine months later in, in May of 2022. Then we drop like a rock over a two-month two time period. We bounce up again. We've come down. So we've had quite a, you know, a roller coaster of a market over the, the past year. And now we're, it seems like we're morphing into something a little more sustainable, I think. You know, we're a, a normal, you know, a normal range for cotton over a short period of time. It's going to be maybe, you know, five to, to ten cents a pound instead of, you know, 15 to sure. 20 to 30 cents a pound. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could give possibly the textile mills some comfort in that, you know, things are going to get too out of whack. Yeah. I think, I think you, you, you mentioned it as being, we're sort of in like we call a no-go zone. Yeah. At this point where, you know, there's a base that we, you know, I think you were comfortable with, but we're just not going to see a whole lot of movement at this it, point. Right. Um, you know, we get up to a certain price level, mm -hmm. either grower selling or, um, the, the, you know, merchants try to, you know, they can't, there's there's grower selling and or merchants can't sell any cotton. Right. So prices come back down. Then you find a spot down there where mm -hmm. growers, so far, you know, they refuse to sell, A, 
then B, and then mills do want to buy. Right. So th that's kind of where it seems like that's what we're bouncing around in. You know, 82, you know, 78 to 82 cents on the low side, really 87 cents and higher on, on the uh, sure. upside. Sure. Now, you've, you've mentioned before, uh, we know cotton prices are going to rebound a little bit higher looking at, uh, at the year. When do you think, I'll let you put your prognosticator's cap on here. When, when do you think growers can start reasonably looking at uh, maybe getting close back up into the 90s a little bit? Excellent question, and I, I think we, there is some disagreement. I know, I, at least in my opinion, I'm a little bit more bearish than Gerald is. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for higher prices until we get to summer or into the 90-cent area anyway. Right. And I, I'm just not seeing that because I think from the, the general economic situation, the consumer spending, the concern about the recession and higher interest rates via the Fed, I think that's going to get add to the current pessimistic attitude of consumers, and we're just not ready to go spend money. Mm -hmm. Now, consumers have been spending more than people might think, but all of it's borrowed. It's on credit. Consumer credit has just skyrocketed. So I'm just not looking for cotton to become bullish until summer, and I'm really not looking for it to be strongly bullish until after harvest in 2023. Okay. Now, you mentioned in the presentation there are a certain number of factors out there, both bullish and bearish, that are kind of impacting the market right now. Can you kind of give us a, a rundown on those as you see them? We, we can look at them, and Gerald can have going off the top of my head. But first off, we have to look at it, in my opinion, increasing U.S. and, and global stocks. There are a few people that say U.S. stocks are not going to increase. And at 3.25, 3.5, 3.6 bales, it is generally low. But certainly global stocks, I think, are increasing because world trade is decreasing. So as a consequence, there's more cotton out there. And this is not a strong demand market. And you better prices come when we have demand, not from the supply side. The supply side has to give us an oomph to take prices marginally higher waiting on demand. Uh, we also see that there is a, uh, there, 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 that mill inventories on the bearish side are still rather high with respect to mill inventory, and we've got to work that, that inventory down somewhat. Now, we're doing some of that because we have such strong discounted sales and sale promotions by your big box retail stores. We've got to get rid of a lot of, of that inventory and in turn, what that will do is that will tell the big box stores to, to, to contract for apparel and whatnot, and that'll begin to spur the yarn demand. And we're seeing a little of that, but not enough yet. That's still down the road. Mm -hmm. Gerald, add some? No, I think you made some, uh, you made some fantastic points there, Roy. Oh, just, uh, I, I'm a little bit concerned about acreage. I know mm -hmm. that uh, the, certainly the cotton grower estimate historically is very accurate. It's very good. Uh, this is such an unusual year. Uh, it's tough to tough to pin that down. And uh, the initial estimate around 11.5, 11.6 million acres, it, it just does not fit with the uh, uh, cotton corn price ratio. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that says plant more corn. The cotton soybean ratio says plant more soybeans. Uh, and as we look at the crop insurance, we see the cotton insurance price last year was a dollar and two, a dollar and three cents. 
currently we would estimate it at about 82 cents for the 2023 crop. 20 cents difference in round numbers. Uh Uh, They got to lose cotton acreage on that basis. At the same time, we see the Mid-South had some fine yields. Certain areas of the Southeast had very good yields. Texas is is the is the wild it's the crap shoot. I sure. think it'll stay that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just would want to take plantings down maybe a million million acres. Okay. As we look at the past fifty years of the, the cotton price uh, or the price rate, yeah, cotton price ratio compared to other commodities, uh, in three years uh, that were very similar to this year. It said acreage would fall and did to around nine and a half and nine million bales so we thought that's what we would see this year mm-hmm. but we also do know that the, gr- the grower rotation patterns have become terribly important we also learning that while some growers have transitioned out of cotton those growers that really love cotton are still there and yes. if they really love cotton they're going to stay there and you well, i talk to them every day they're just not going to get rid of their cotton yeah well i know when, when we put the survey together and i think it's one of the things i've I led the article off with that this would be easier with a blindfold and a dartboard this year. Yeah. A monkey and a dartboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a monkey, a monkey probably wrote the article. But, uh, but no, we always always kind of look at it as we always have our, our blind squirrel theory. Yeah. You know, every now and then a blind squirrel will still find, find an acorn on it. And we've been fortunate for the last couple of years. But this one was just was just tough. And I... Once I put the number together, I'm going, it's it's going to be lower than this. But I can't tell you how much you know, it worked. It's, it's a survey. And, yeah. and you did the survey. You That's what uh-huh. you, you were, were she sold, was told. Yeah. Uh, you know, you your percentage drop was compared to the June plantings. Mm-hmm. It actually, the if you compared it to the plantings that came out in September, mm-hmm. which was larger than the June plantings, you know, you got a little bit larger percentage dropped and then you think you got there like for example i think you were showing around four percent in mid-south southeast right well versus the september plantings more like nine nine and a half percent the yeah you go back and you look what's the largest percentage drop we've ever had in plantings and the largest i mean maybe two or three times i don't remember the years off the top of my head but percentage wise 30 to 31 percent and so you know my numbers up there, 10.9, almost 11 million acres. Right. It was 20%. You know, you take another million four off there. Now you're at, uh, you know, nine, seven, nine, eight. That would be probably the lowest I could see it going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought, you know, yeah. And then it, in the back of my mind, that's probably where I thought the number was going to be. But, you know, I'm just going with, you, you know, everything that's given me it. At that point in the year. Right. And then a lot's going to have to happen, you know, in, in West Texas, for example. I mean, there's a lot of wheat planted out there. Right. And um, if <clears throat> if they've got a pretty good crop and they end up taking it to harvest and they haven't really had any good spring rains, you know, I don't know that they'll come back in there and, and, and plant cotton or plant that or not. Maybe they will for insurance purposes, but uh, um, but it's going to be... You know, Texas is such a big part of a, whatever big drop you're expected right. in terms of plantings. Mm-hmm. Now, Gerald, I think whenever we talked, uh, you know, last year and, and going into this year, we're looking particularly at California and uh, that, that whole lower southwest market is so water dependent on what's going to happen. And as we sit here right now, California is getting inundated with rains and floods and the mountains 
much. The Sierras are seeing some snowpack that they haven't seen the last couple of years. Once all this settles down and everything, and you kind of feel like, okay, we're going to see more water available for your state if it doesn't all roll back out to the Pacific, uh, is that going to impact cotton acres at all? Or are you still looking at a, you know, slightly depressed market? It could, you know, um, because water was so tight this last year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there wasn't as many tomatoes growing for paste. Things are starting to pick up in that market again. Guys are being offered really good contracts for, for tomatoes, uh, processing tomatoes. Sure. Really good contracts for, excuse me, uh, for, for garlic, I hear. I don't know much about the garlic. Um, you know, some of these trees that were ripped out because they didn't have enough water, mm -hmm. they may come back in with a row crop for a year or two. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. These almond prices have not picked back up. In fact, they're languishing near some, some mm -hmm. really low levels right now. So some of these older orchards were yanked out last year because of the water situation. You know, you could see at least a return to some row crops for a year or two because, you know, if, if there's water, they don't want to just let that ground no. sit idle, mm -hmm. you know. Um, the uh, uh, Now, these wheat prices were high enough that, uh, you know, the growers have already cut back on some of their plantings for for this next year because they grow, well, I'm thinking of Quita triticale and winter wheat. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're certainly going to take that to harvest, and may, maybe they come back in with a cotton crop but probably not that probably follow that with the corn silage so there's you know if we get good water and we get an allocation early enough yeah maybe we won't see as severe cuts as it was normally see but growing costs are so high out there uh the upland that's grown in the central valley of california virtually every acre of that is on a seed contract and if these if these uh uh breeders up or the seed guys don't come out with you know, it, a big enough number to convince them they they won't they won't plant the upland yeah. cotton. Yeah, you know, you know maybe they'll increase their pima plantings, mm -hmm. but they won't plant upland without without a good seed contract. Yeah. Well, we've come through the, the the past year looking at things like you know increasing interest rates and you know the the dollar index and the influence that's had on markets and the whole recession worries and uh, export sales. Where do we kind of stand from a world perspective right now? With respect to? With respect to production, supply and production. Okay. Well, uh, I think uh, to take the other big producing countries, India, Brazil, uh, China, the, the, and the United States, the four largest, uh, China is still going to plant cotton. They, they need the food, they need the grains, but they have so many people employed in the textile industry. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that they can import cotton, that's uh, they will do that. Brazil is actually increasing their exports to 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 China, and as one speaker pointed out today, uh, it's very evident that Brazil is expanding cotton production. They can do it. They have yep. the land area to do it, and they will. They grow a high quality crop, very comparable to the United States. In many cases, the same seed variety, same seed selection. Right. Uh, so Brazil is going to take some of our market. That's just us, just the way it is. At the same time, if we don't produce a crop, uh, another speaker made the point that if we don't have it to sell, we can't sell it. 
we do have a comparative advantage if we have the volume to sell. So we've got to do that. But we're going to be hurt a little bit uh, by Brazil. We may be hurt a little bit by India. India is not going to reduce its crop. But India, again, for the most part, they're going to use their crop domestically. They'll import a little to us from us. We'll, they'll export a little to other countries. But we'll only see a marginal drop in cotton uh, acreage in India. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to see it in China. I think there'll be a little bit of a decrease, but they still need cotton in production in, in, in China. But I think there'll be a little bit more f uh, food production, grain production. Uh -huh. Gerald, I think in, when you were looking at talking about your projections for the year, I think what you came up for like 15, 57, 15, yeah. in bales yeah. from the U.S. Yes. this year. Okay. That should, that's a good starting point. I, I think, you know, I, th I think it is. That, that's a good production. It's, uh, it, it, it's, if we, as we look at 23-24, that uh, marketing year does not begin until August. So we should have the ability to export 14 million or more. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we can get to 15 million, who knows? But yeah. uh, that's down the road. But uh, we can certainly, we, we can, that's not too big of a crop. Uh, in my opinion, it's starting to get to the on the top side, but it's still a crop size that that the market can handle and still give us prices above eighty cents anyway. Now, whether that's a ninety cent price, I don't know. Yeah. But above eighty cents, without question. What about demand? World demand and consumption right now. Any any signals that we're going to start seeing a little little increase there, a little bump? No, but at some point, you know. These guys are going to have to have more than, you know, a two-week, you know, vision in front of them. Right. Um, and these inventories will get worked off. It may take a little time, but they are going to get worked off. They're going to have to replenish those, you know, those inventories. I mean, if you're a retailer, you can't sell it if it's not on your shelf. Exactly. Right? And and so um, they're just, I think we're in such a strange time economically, they're just having a very difficult time trying to figure out how to right-size their, their orders. Right. I was talking with someone last night and said, I, really, once you kind of get this inventory that's currently there cleared out a little bit, he says, I think they're going to get to the point where there's no backroom supply. Whatever comes yeah. in goes straight to the floor on it. We have uh, here in the world, USDA's most recent number, 90 million bale carryover. Uh, if the market is extremely bearish the next six months, we could see a 95 million bale carryover, but that would be the absolute heaviest or the largest carryover we would see. Uh, and uh, world consumption is in the neighborhood of 110 million bales. So you know we, we, we've got 90, 95 million bales, and we consumption's only 110. So there's st the the in a sense, we have 85% of the crop we need already for next year. But as the market picks up, we'll have an increase in demand. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. Now, will it go to 125, 10 million bales more than now, or will it, or more, or will it stay about 120? Bottom line, as you just said, if, for the, when the market's, to, when the market needs that crop, it's, it better be coming fairly soon. Otherwise, we'll go back up to a dollar ten, dollar twenty, and it's, we'll cut off supply again, yeah. or cut off uh, demand again. Mm -hmm. But uh, th that's why we tend to get bullish. At least I do, and some others. We don't get bullish till we get to January, February, March of 2024. 
but uh, it, it doesn't take but one year to work off right. an excess supply. Yeah. No, it doesn't take but one year. <laughs> so, so we need to be ready. Maybe we need to have a little bit too much just in case. But, uh, and, and, and I would rather have too much supply and keep prices at 90 cents or 85 cents than end up with cotton at $1.20 again because we, yeah. we, we, we deteriorate our long-term demand at that level. Yeah, the question is, if the price keeps going up, are there uh, are all the speculators going to go with us? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. And who knows? Right. That mark. You know, and, and, and you know, historically, textile mills and and even the re, even the brands, they don't really care where raw material prices are as long as they're in a fairly stable range and right. they can they can plan out six months a year in advance on on stuff and they know that you know. Yeah, the, these prices are not going to move very much. Yeah, mills aren't going to get caught sitting there, you know, twiddling their thumbs waiting for prices to stabilize. Exactly, mills aren't going to sit there and just spin cotton when cotton's a dollar fifteen cents a pound. They're having to pay that, and they don't know when they can sell it. They're not going to spin it just to have it in inventory in case the, mm-hmm. the apparel mill wants to buy it. They they need some some stability in prices, just like every yeah. sector does. And uh, that allows for demand continue to grow at a smooth rate. It allows for the market to, it allows for the market to go higher, and and without hurting demand. Mm-hmm. Well, one last last question. Back in December, we ended up the year with the supply demand report. It looked like that we adjusted some numbers in terms of production and consumption things. We're sitting here in January. We haven't seen our supply demand report yet. It's it's imminent. We will tomorrow. I know. Where do you think any any big changes? Do you anticipate any any surprises or just kind of status quo right now? I don't see a huge change. You know, typically January it's pretty a pretty numb month. <laughs> typically it is. <laughs> it, maybe the crop size might be down a couple hundred thousand bales. Might yeah. of course maybe it's up two hundred thousand. I think my bias is it'll be down a couple hundred thousand. Exports could be a down a hundred well they're guessing what usda is going to do i wouldn't to be surprised if they lowered it two hundred thousand bales i wouldn't be surprised if they didn't change it yeah either way the um possibly you could have a decrease in in india i know that they keep trying to talk that the fact that these the arrivals at the generies from from growers are behind last year oh that's because growers are hanging on to the cotton because they think prices are going higher well you know the I don't know how many of those, you know, those Indian farmers over there can sit there and hold on to their cotton for six months right. until they got to feed their family, you know. So I, I do, I, I think that that crop is smaller than what is intimated over there. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, Pakistan, of course, we don't know what they won't. Pakistan is probably low enough. It may come down a little bit more, mm-hmm. but that's it. Like I always says, the United States might. Squeak, squeak down another hundred, you know, a hundred thousand or so. But, you know, between fourteen and their current estimate of fourteen two, you know, it's pretty good. So I, it's just hard to see anything unless, unless they take a big swipe at, at consumption. Yeah, I, and that it, would be it, the only, thing. And, it, and it wouldn't be U.S. consumption. That could be a yeah. little bite again, not but immaterial. Yeah, world consumption could come down. Not that I'm necessarily expecting it. It would not. I would not think it would be a big surprise to see it come down, uh, even a million bales. I, I don't think it'd be a big surprise. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the one thing we can we can all agree on is 
we don't know what's going to happen <laughs> this year. That, you know, we look at all the historical measures and things that happened, you know, a decade ago or everything, and in all the indicators, I'm not sure really apply. But, Jim, we, precisely this yeah, year. We just told you what was going to happen. I've never used that before. I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. And with that, then we're going to close this little discussion. Gerald and Lee, thank you for uh, for taking time to join me again, and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up. I'm sure. Down the road, down the road this year, uh, still meeting season. So, you know, we've still got plenty of options to get together. Thank you, Jim. Thanks. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to send a special thanks to Gerald Nieper and to Dr. O.A. Cleveland for taking the time to visit with Jim during a, what was, I'm sure, a very busy beltwide schedule. And as always, we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us. And uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you do like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word. Tell your buddies, your farming buddies about this podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, Sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman, East Beck Barnes, and we'll be back with you in two weeks with the next episode of Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm.